I'm Ingrid Granar and you're listening to the Keeping Up With NZ podcast. Today I'm here with Alex Lee, co-founder and co-director of the documentary New Zealand Trust, a not-for-profit organisation set up to promote and create opportunities for documentary filming in New Zealand. They run the Documentary Edge Film Festival, the only competitive documentary genre festival in Australasia. And next month, in its 15th year, the festival will go online for the first time from the 12th of June until the 5th of July. Hi, Alex. Hi, how are you this afternoon? I'm good. How are you? Not too bad at all. I mean, we are a day away from launching our entire program. So all hands on board, getting really excited. And obviously the the usual nerves that you get with launching a new program. So can you tell me a bit about um, the impact of COVID-19? Obviously, the festival is going on um, online. Just wondering how you think this is going to affect sort of your audience dynamic and obviously the filmmakers themselves and how people access this kind of content. Well, I think that COVID-19 really did uh, strike a blow in terms of any form of large gatherings, and that would include festivals and probably intimate surroundings like cinemas. So for us, we didn't really have a choice. Mm. Um, We waited to see for as long as we can as to whether or not uh, we would be able to run a physical festival. But when the Prime Minister announced that we were going into a lockdown, there was no way that we could actually wait till this lifted to either level two or level one. We had to make a very quick decision. So, yes, we decided to go online. Um, We're bringing all of our program online. That includes not just the films, but also the forum, which is our industry event, the Q&As that we'll be running with filmmakers, as well as little features that we would normally have in a festival that people enjoy, the community building side of it. Because we kind of figured that in the time where we're forced into isolation, we really need to find community. Yeah. And what better way to do it than to sit around and watch a film together and talk about it. So how do people access the content that you've been talking about, like the seminars, the films and, and the, that community aspect? Like, Do they still purchase tickets or how do people do it? Yes, so we've partnered with a company called Shift72, an event finder, and working with our major partner, Chorus, we have uh, managed to deliver the whole entire program online. So people would be able to log into our festival website. They will be able to choose films and the particular screenings that they want to do. And they would be able to then access it because the code will be sent to them. They will be able to watch the film at the prescribed scheduled time. So the little bit of a difference that we are doing compared to other festivals and other platforms around the world is that we're running scheduled screenings. So as much as possible, we're trying to emulate the feel of a festival. So say if you are going to watch a film, you'll choose to watch a film on a particular day at a particular time. And so will the other two, three, four hundred, five hundred people that might also be tuning in at the same time. And after that, you will have possibly a Q&A and you have an opportunity to go into a forum and talk to other people about how you felt about the film. You can't really beat that kind of group feeling when you've watched something amazing or and, and having that Q&A afterwards. The idea of everyone being able to discuss what you've just watched is quite important, especially in, in this kind of content with documentaries because they're often, well, very often tackling 
those kind of topics that you need to discuss afterwards? Documentaries are designed really to stimulate dialogue. And it's really hard to go and watch a film that a documentary uh, is about and not be able to actually talk to someone about how you felt, you know, uh, why it moved you, what are the things that you can do to change uh, for the better. I just wanted to talk a little bit about um, you and um, how you yeah. got here. Um, you're a lawyer as well as your work you do alongside the Documentary New Zealand Trust. I wondered if you could just give us a bit of a background on how you ended up being um, within the film business, being a lawyer and supporter of performing arts. Sure. Um, many years ago when I was working back in Hong Kong, I actually had the opportunity to actually be the presenter of an online, not online, it's a current affairs program that came on every night on um, mainstream television. So I was always interested in the idea that factual was really important. So when I came back to New Zealand, I did a master's in filmmaking and I met up with my co-founder, Dan Shannon, and we both uh, lamented about the fact that New Zealand did not have a uh, particular festival that was curated just for documentaries. Like in other parts of the world, this is quite common, but New Zealand did not have that. So we kind of felt that it was a great opportunity for us to do this and help to maintain and facilitate uh, more documentaries to be seen and to be made in New Zealand. And you do a pitch funding for um, yes. supporting documentaries because David Farrier won the pitch for Tickled, was that right? Yes, we run an event called Doc Edge Pitch, and Doc Edge Pitch actually allows the opportunity for filmmakers to pitch their ideas before a panel of filmmakers, production companies, funders, uh, people that are involved with uh, acquisitions, broadcasters. So you pitch the event, and if you pitch the um, story, um, the story gets heard, and it, it is an opportunity for funding. So the success of um, Tickled is obviously a great example of how that funding can help an idea come to fruition. And obviously that film went global and went to lots of other film festivals afterwards. So that's a real kind of testament to what that support can do for filmmakers in New Zealand. So we ask all our guests a few um, similar questions. So the first question I ask people is, so what's the best New Zealand theatre production or performance that you've seen, a local production? Wow. Okay. So, so that's that's a really interesting question because I think that there are just so many different types of productions out there. I think a production that really um, made me nostalgic and perhaps reached down to uh, my own uh, ethnic origins uh, was a, a, a play that was called The Mooncake and the Kumara. Mm -hmm. I loved it because it was the first time that we really had a uh, live theatre performance that was all about the history of the Chinese and, and how the Chinese migrants that came to this country, many of them ended up marrying local indigenous women. So, you know, it was a beautiful story about cross-cultural love uh, at a time where it was probably not, you know, well received. Uh, but as a result of which, we've got this beautiful intermarriage and this culture that has blended into each other. Yeah, I think that was that Auckland Arts Festival a few years ago. I think that yes. was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember that one. Oh, that's a great pick. Yeah. So all of these questions are about Kiwi connections. Um, yeah. So the next one would be your favourite Kiwi artist, album or anthem. So what song or album or artist <laughs> makes you think that is, that's New Zealand, that's Kiwi music? Dave Dobbin, Anchor Me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Dave Dobbin certainly is 
uh, Kiwi as. So I've been here a decade. Um, I think when I first came to New Zealand, we went to the music awards and I asked people like, what is New Zealand music? And everyone said, Dave Dobbin. (laughs) (laughs) Like me. (laughs) Everyone said it. Um, But he is and he's great and he's been around for decades and he's popular for a reason. So, right, next one, next Kiwi connection would be your favourite comedian or live comedy show. (laughs) That's, that's, well, I have to say that I have to reach back into my memory and my memories tell me that I should really say Billy T. James. Yeah. You know, I think that he is the iconic uh, Kiwi comedian of all our times. You know, he certainly broke ground and I think that he's just someone that, you know, our comedians should all look up to. Right. Next question, which we can also link to Doc Edge. We can can have two answers for this one. So this is your best or favourite New Zealand film. Um, so we could pick your favourite all-time New Zealand film and then maybe let's pick um, a New Zealand documentary from this year's Doc Edge. So my favourite New Zealand film will probably be The Piano. I think The, the, the Piano um, certainly explores our scenery, our background. Um, it looks into our history. I think it was beautifully directed and acted. And in terms of a New Zealand documentary this year, um, I like the work that's being done by um, filmmakers that explore our our natural history. So there's a film in our festival called Elementa, uh, which is really beautiful. It's, it explores uh, our scenery. It, it gets us into uh, a place where we can see all the wonderful images and, and the way our environment is keeping up to where it needs to be. So final question is a yeah, nah question. Um, and this is about what you think we could be doing more of or what we could do better for Kiwis in the arts. Funding. Funding is a huge issue for arts practitioners. I think that a country often forgets that arts is actually a really important part of any community and society. Um, We tend to be very good at giving funding, and quite rightly so, to sports, um, to sciences, but arts tend to fall as being the last place that people go and provide funding to, and I think we need to do better. Um, arts gives us a real sense of who we are, our tradition, our culture, and where we're going as a society. Um, there's not enough of it. Uh, more needs to be done, and arts needs to be seen to be a sustainable business as well. So there needs to be opportunities, not just to get funding for the um, the uh, tradition, uh, for the uh, heritage, for the um, archival um uh, resource that arts can bring but uh, arts needs to be supported as a business by the Ministry of Business Innovation and Enterprise so that people can actually have a sustainable life. I think um, having been in lockdown we hope that the appreciation for the arts has maybe increased or people have realised how all these, this great content and entertainment that you actually um, can enjoy day to day either going to the theatre or the cinema or to gigs or to comedy None of that exists if we're not supporting those individuals that make it. And so, you know, everything on Netflix will run out eventually. (laughs) You know, so people need to actually support the industries. And I I hope that having been in lockdown and people consuming so much entertainment, 
that um, they, they do appreciate it more. I actually spoke to, in a previous podcast, Rosie Carnahan Darby, who's married to Reese Darby. And she said that when he was starting out, um, he was on a like an artist benefit, which basically yes. meant that you could sign on the dole um, and not have to be looking for a job so you could concentrate on your art. And she said, you know, if you look at the fact that he did that for, you know, however many months or a year, um, what he's paid back in taxes since becoming successful comedian and, and movie star, you know, more than pays for what he got out of it. So that kind of support, allowing someone to actually develop as an artist, you know, is, is obviously beneficial to an economy in general. Yes, absolutely. And I, I think that people uh, forget um, just those points that you just mentioned. I think that, you know, um, actually the arts is a, is a thriving economic sector. If you look at the film industry, for example, um, people think about all these, what they think are the directors, the rich directors getting richer, but actually there's a whole lot of people in the screen industry, from the carpenters to the people that work in accounts, from the busboys that run around trying to, to make sure that production is running smoothly, you know, right across to hospitality, to tourism, um, to making sure that, you know, we just keep the local economy working. It's an ecology in its own. So it's not about just one small group of people getting richer. It's actually making sure that the money continues to cycle right through our wider economy. And like you said, there's obviously lots of different people working in the film industry. But even those who are the directors and the actors and the ones that people think of, as having sort of the glitzy lifestyle, most of them, most of them don't, do they? So. Most of them don't. Yeah, exactly right. And especially in the era of documentary, which is why we're so passionate about it. Documentary filmmakers don't make documentaries because they want to be rich. They make documentaries because they are passionate and they're committed and they want the whole world to understand what's going on so that we can all make the right choices for the future. Can I just ask you, um, I'm just looking at your website on the DockEdge website, which is dockedge.nz, and it says New Zealand's Oscar qualifying International Documentary Film Festival. Can you just tell us a bit about what that means? Yes. To, to be eligible to be considered for uh, and awarded at the Oscars, you need to have a film that is accepted and considered to be shortlisted by the Oscar committee. For that to happen, usually most documentary films have to do a theatrical run across the states. You've got to go from East Coast to West Coast right. for a certain number of days. But they have also accepted the fact that if you do that, then the films that get seen may have a very strong American bias and what they want to see is a wider range of films all around the world so they've chosen a number of festivals that are considered to be what are a-list festivals or festivals that have shown a very strong strength in the curating of the subjects so they say to the festivals well we're prepared to allow you to nominate films to be considered by our committee mm -hmm. and by by doing this what they usually ask you to do is to select a film through competition so we have a new zealand international competition uh, for both um, short form and long form documentaries so we can qualify four films that win our awards and they will then be considered by the oscar committee so the best new zealand short documentary best new zealand feature documentary and similarly best international short documentary and best international feature documentaries so that is why in terms of our international competition we get the top films a number of the films that we get mm. are world premieres that have not been seen anywhere else they may not even have been to come or Sundance, but they come here first. 
It's just amazing for um, a New Zealand festival and for um, the audiences as well of what we get to see content-wise. Um, so we've got 83 films that are going to be screened this year through our program, and it's available right around the country. So everyone from Stewart Island all the way up to Whangarei and the Bay of Islands will be able to make selections from our program. And I hope everyone will come and join us because this is the first New Zealand film festival going online. Um, and um, I don't know if you're able to do this or allowed to do this. Do you have any sort of top three must-see or anything from this, this year's program? Every film is a personal favourite, but if you want to ask me uh, what might be really great films to, to choose, three of them, one would be probably the, op the opening night film, A Thousand Cuts, um, amazing film about uh, CNN uh, reporter Maria Ressa and her fight against the Filipino president. Uh, the next film is The Cordillera of Dreams, by well-known uh, Chilean filmmaker Patricio Guzman. Um, amazing, amazing film. And hashtag unfit, which is all about um, our President Trump and his tenure in office. I think that's a must-see. Check out the 15th edition of Doc Edge on www.docedge.nz. The festival runs from the 12th of June to the 5th of July. On social media, they can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Thanks so much, Alex Lee, from the Documentary New Zealand Trust and the Documentary Edge Festival. I look forward to checking out all the films and um, I hope to see you again in person, hopefully next next year's festival. All right. Okay. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks very much. Great to talk to you. Bye-bye. So that was Alex Lee from the Doc Edge Film Festival. That's going online from the 12th of June until the 5th of July, and that's nationwide. So check out docedge.nz. Now, at Keeping Up With NZ, we're big film geeks, so we were actually given the chance to view a couple of the films from the programme ahead of the festival. And I've got Stuart Salmon-Lund on the line, and he's one of our film reviewers. And he's looked at three films, so he's just going to give us a bit of a review of each of those. Hi, Stuart. Hey, how you doing? Yes, so I was very fortunate enough to see three of the films from the festival. And first thing I can say is that none of them are terrible. So that's very good news. Um, the first was, um, it's called Unfit. And it asks sort of some quite big questions regarding Donald Trump's presidency. The questions that I think a lot of us have been wondering for the past four years, whether he <laughs> is uh, actually just literally psychologically fit for the role of president, considering the immense amount of power. Uh, that obviously he possesses. And I think it does a really good job of, of painting quite a terrifying picture about him. But my main concern, I think, with this film was basically just it, it sets out claiming that it's not at all politically motivated. And I was left feeling very much that it was trying to give me a political lecture as well as um, tell me about his mental health. So I think that was mainly my, my sort of biggest concern is I think that it was incredibly biased despite telling me that it was going to be a, a very neutral picture. But at the same time, I learned a lot and it does really make you think about um, the person that is at the moment, I mean, pretty much the most powerful man in the world and it, it, it is quite scary. I agree with you on unfit um that I started off like really enjoying it. And I agree, yeah, you can learn loads from it, but go into it with that kind of open mind of taking what you want from it. But it, it does give some perspectives on the psychological aspects of his personality that you can kind of explore further. So what's the second film you watched? 
called Who Let the Dogs Out, which is named after the film that I assume everyone in the world knows. It is incredibly <laughs> annoying, but also seems to be standing the test of time. But what this film sets out to explore is um, the history of the song, because it's a lot more complex than, than anyone probably realises. Um, people might, may think that it's uh, that it came out around the year 2000 by a group called the Baha Men, but in, in truth, there's a far more lengthy history um, than, than just going back to the year 2000. Uh, so the film follows um, a man named Ben Sisto, who has basically dedicated the last decade of his life to researching the song after finding an incorrect citation on the song's Wikipedia page where it just had a person's first name. And he went, well, you know, it says it was created by this one person, but um, he doesn't have a last name. Who is this person? And he set out to find a lot more about it and ends up, digging up you know another 10 or 20 years of that song's history and uh the legal battles ensuing over who came up with the hook and who came up with the wording and, and that sort of thing it's it's very bizarre i felt it felt sort of david farrier-esque is the way i put it in my review where it was um someone finding quite a niche uh aspect of something and then delving into it and going down the rabbit hole which i found really interesting but i did find that at only 60 minutes sort of conversing conversely to the previous documentary we talked about um there wasn't enough time spent with some of the people being interviewed and it feels like it was it was very entertaining i learned a lot it's a very peculiar story but i think that maybe there could have been some more time spent exploring um aspects of the song's history but it's something that i just think most people probably have no idea about and um i found it yeah fascinating in that way it was a podcast, apparently, as well, which dives into the same thing. But um, yeah, it's a very peculiar story, but it's, it's it's entertaining at the least. Cool, and I reckon you'll probably have the song stuck in your head for a week after you watch that film. <laughs> yeah, and, and there's so many different versions of it, which is something that I didn't realise and that you learn about. And there, and, and there's just montage after montage of all these different versions of the song playing. It's it's yeah, it's it, at the least it's inc- it's incredibly entertaining. It's quite funny. Um, I just I think some aspects of it were perhaps a little surface level. There wasn't that much investigating, but it's more sort of just it's a piece of entertainment, and in that in that sense, it really does succeed. I think. Cool. And what about the final film you saw? Yeah, so this was called "I Want to Give My Brain to Richard Fall," and I really enjoyed this. It's a New Zealand film. It's set in Auckland. It's only forty-five minutes um, long, which I think is kind of the perfect length for something like this. It's about um, an elderly man living on Waiheke Island who. 30 years ago, he got to hold a human brain um, at the Centre of Brain Research. And basically from that moment on, it's been his his singular life goal to have his brain donated to Sir Richard Fall when he passes away. Um, but because he lives on Waiheke, he has to work out how he can get his brain when he's died back to the city within a certain amount of time so that it's still useful for research. And... The film basically for 45 minutes follows his day-to-day life as he talks about the way that he's worked out and he's going to make sure his brain can be researched. And it's yeah, it's the sort of character study because we spend a lot of time just following him. He talks about his, his previous relationships and his, and his life's history. And it's it's sort of an unfiltered insight into into just a random Kiwi bloke, really, which is um, quite fascinating. You see every, every part of his life. There's problematic aspects of things that he says. There's funny and interesting things. But... Um, yeah, again, like with the other two, I learned a lot about, um, about how, you know, brain research works and things like that. But I just, I just enjoyed basically spending a small amount of time with 
a random Kiwi man talking about things and just following him. He's quite a character, and um, yeah, and I enjoyed it. It's it's funny. It's, it's a bit awkward, and it's and for once, the forty five minute runtime uh, right. It, it was just a little little snippet of his life. So, out of those three, that would be your pick, would it? Yeah, I gave that one five stars. I thought that that was. Uh, I was sitting there just pondering if there was anything I could find wrong with it, and I couldn't really it, it does exactly what it sets out to do and i think it does a really good job of that um so i would i would recommend it and it's one that people i mean i don't know but you know looking through the, the list of documentaries it wasn't one that initially stood out to me it didn't have any glitz attached to it really it was just an old guy on waiheke island but um i think those those stories are always quite interesting when you stumble across something you may not have otherwise chosen there's definitely a massive mix in the program i watched one called we believe in dinosaurs have you heard of this one yeah, I thought that sounded really um, So We Believe in Dinosaurs is about the construction of the Ark Encounter Museum in Kentucky in the USA. So they build a, in inverted commas, to scale Ark of Noah's Ark. Um, and so it kind of discusses the controversy around creationism um, and evolution and they've kind of mer- how they've sort of merged the two and um, this is being treated as kind of like a natural history museum so um, you get some quite good insight from the people who are inside the actual machine and people that used to believe that way and then have changed or that people used to work for the organization that built built is building the ark and then they've sort of since changed their beliefs so I found that one quite interesting as well. So I'll stick that one on the must-see list. Thanks so much, Stuart, for your reviews. Uh, Stuart's reviews are actually going to be up on keepingupwithnz.com as well. So we're doing an online post just with a few pics and short paragraph reviews of a few films in the programme. So thanks so much, Stuart. No worries. Thanks for having me. So that's it for the KUWNZ podcast for this week. Please follow, subscribe, like, share, tell people about us. The KUWNZ podcast is a keepingupwithnz.com production in association with creativesidekicking.com presented and produced by moi, Ingrid Grenard.